welcome to Northern Natter, a podcast by journalists for journalists who don't want to move down south. If you are just getting into the industry, studying or soon to be graduating, then this is for you. We're sharing all the tips and tricks and stories from people in the industry from Scotland and Northern England. I'm Katie Williams, one half of a Katie duo. I'm from Stirling in Scotland and last year I graduated with a journalism and film degree. Since then, I have worked with BBC Scotland, creating content for their BBC The Social online platform. I'm Katie Baggett, from Sunderland and graduated last year with a journalism degree. I've worked at community radio stations Spark and various news websites. I now work in higher education, but also freelance as a radio presenter and audio producer. There are stories and opportunities in Northern England and further north in Scotland, and we want to find out how we can get them because we don't want to move to London. So hello and welcome to another episode of Northern Matter with me, Katie Baggett. And me, Katie Williams. Today we are so excited to be collaborating with Journey Resources for this extra special episode. Hey, um, my name is Gem Collins. I'm the founder and director of Journey Resources. Um, I'm also a trustee for the Student Publication Association, which is a charity helping student journalists. I am a freelance journalist myself and I write for places like the Metro, uh, Pink News, the iPaper, anywhere that will pay me basically. Um, And I'm also involved with both Women in Journalism and The Second Source, where I help out on those volunteer committees focusing on creating support networks for women. For people who might not have heard of you before, what is Journal Resources and how did it all start out? I run a website called Journey Resources and it's essentially just a free to access toolkit for anyone who's looking to get into the media and also people that when they're in the media want to kind of progress and keep going so the main thing that we have is the website and that's just essentially as many free tools and resources as we can create so there's loads of details around stuff like salaries and freelance rates so that you don't have that awkward thing where someone goes how much do you want to be paid and you have no idea so you end up worse off and we also have templates for things like pitches you know job applications cvs we give one-on-one advice we run events we kind of list the opportunities ourselves so as much stuff as we can do that we can kind of open source and get people sharing information to kind of increase the access to the media and also similarly to what you guys are kind of doing make it less london centric it's anything we can do around that sphere and it all basically started four years ago now where i just got really frustrated one day when i was kind of searching for this kind of stuff i was looking for graduate jobs and i didn't know why there wasn't a list all in one place of all of the graduate schemes so it was about three in the morning and I was like I'll just make one Uh, so I did and it was very much a side project for a couple of years but people kept using it and so now somehow it's become my job which is a bit wild to think about but yeah we're now four years in we're about to hire our first ever employee for two days a week which is really scary but also really great going back to the newsletters and you were saying that you don't want to be London centric and I have noticed that the jobs in them in the newsletters aren't all from London which up in Scotland, I do appreciate when I see like one based in Scotland and stuff. I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> but do you think that more people need to move to London if they actually want to be successful? If they were, if the majority of jobs are down south. I think the problem that we have with our newsletter sometimes is that we kind of stuck our stake in the ground around salaries. And so potentially there's more London centric jobs in our newsletter than we would like, because there are some things that we say in, say, Scotland or Manchester or, you know, anywhere else but London. uh, But we can't necessarily listen because we don't have a salary. So we try as much as we can to put things outside London, but we've kind of 
almost like box yourself into a corner slightly. But I guess what I'm trying to get around to is I don't think you have to come to London to start your career. I think it's one of those things that I was going to mention anyway, because it's one of those things that where you get kind of told so much sometimes, I think, especially from universities, that there's one way into journalism and you must do this and you must do your unpaid internships and then you must go to London. But I know loads of really successful people that haven't done that. And maybe at some point in their career, like they might have got, you know, maybe they take an opportunity in London at some point, but that's when they've just decided they want to do something different. So I don't think there's any reason at all why you should have to move to London. You should be thinking about what you want to do as an individual. I think there are opportunities everywhere. And especially now, I'm hopeful that more companies will be more open to it not having to be everyone here in this one place. It just doesn't make sense. You don't reflect the country. Yeah, exactly. I think we touched on that on the episode we just recorded saying that there are so many journalists and budding journalists all over the country so they should be utilizing these spaces do you think that then do do you think that the regional news or regional news spaces are underestimated a national story could really come from anywhere i don't know if you've heard of robin vinter who runs overtake the whole publication was founded on the idea of like why is a national story having to be london centric i think just because it's been this way for so long I yeah. think that's why people kind of have it in their minds. And I think what hasn't helped is when we talk about the actual outlets like themselves, I think a lot of the local regional papers were just quite slow to jump on digital. So I think that's just like kind of fed into the problem. Mm-hmm. Like some of their CMSs feel like they're from like the 1980s. They're only just catching up now. So it's been a really hard cycle, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that's getting too into like the meta-ness of it, but there's definitely the stories there. I think it's just the outlets that were there maybe weren't as digitally focused in those smaller places. Obviously, that doesn't apply to big towns like in cities like Manchester and Glasgow and stuff like that. But I mean, like those real small places, I think that's been part of the problem. I think one thing I'm really excited about is a lot of these kind of hyper-local outlets and community-led places that have started up by themselves. And if you look at something like the Ferret, for example, up in Scotland, down south, but also outside of London, you have like the Bristol Cable and various other examples like that. I find those kind of outlets really exciting and now they're getting to the place, you know, the place where they can hire people and you're seeing more and more things like that pop up. I do hope that it it kind of comes down to for the smaller papers, they Mm -hmm. just need a bit of investment and a bit of money from the big groups that, that are kind of owning them, if that makes sense. Katie, have you heard of the ferret? It was something that one of my lecturers was talking about. He was from Scotland um, and he was really passionate about it. So I remember that I'd need to look into it a bit more because mm-hmm. it was like two, two and a bit year ago. <laughs> what helped you get your foot in the door when starting out? What kind of challenges did you face setting up journal resources? I guess challenges starting out in terms of like career more broadly, I guess, were probably like pretty similar to, I guess, what most people would find in that. I don't really know anyone in journalism and I think I still struggle with that now in that like even when doing like this crowdfunder that we're doing I don't really know like I don't really know any editors or like any important people one of the things I'd say that helped me get around that was kind of developing a network like on my own level if that makes sense so I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure to be like you need to network and you need to know all of these really important people I still don't really know any important people, but actually being part of those communities that exist. So for me, it was the Student Publication Association at the time, and that allowed me to just meet a lot of people who 
thought similar things and wanted to explore that career as well. At least people who were doing similar things and had similar understandings. And then as we all kind of eventually got into the industry, you then had a network that kind of just keeps spreading out. Just, yeah, that idea of not knowing anyone and not necessarily panicking that you need to, you know, buddy up with the editor of the Times or whatever. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think me and Katie have sort of done that, done the same thing in terms of networking. I think for me, I have networked with people who have either just graduated or around about similar age to me. And it has been really helpful. I mean, that's how, you know, me and Katie have started this up and how we've got a lot of guests. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I think that's probably the best way forward. Even on a, like an advice level, I think like they understand it more, like what you're, what you're experiencing as well, meaning as a mentor who's been in the industry for 20 years would be. Don't think it's the same. Like they would say they did one thing 20 years ago and it's like, okay, cool. Well, that, that newspaper doesn't exist anymore. Like that's irrelevant, if that makes sense. That's something that I've kind of like got to know about in the last few months that there is a community online and I think with COVID and everything people have like needed that. Have you been involved in workshops and organisations that emphasise women in journalism? Yeah so I think the problem that we sometimes get now is I think it's a bit more nuanced than it was you know 20 years ago so I help um, women in journalism out with some of their digital stuff so I've been involved with a lot of their events and workshops and we're still lacking that problem I think of women being in the top jobs it's got a lot better but it's still not completely across the board and also I think as a woman like especially in terms of content you tend to get kind of pushed into that I have to write about my experiences um, and you end up either you know being pigeoned onto a lifestyle desk or you end up feeling like your way in is to write about your identity rather than people necessarily pushing you to hard news which you might do if you're a bloke if that makes sense. What do you think about the article about Kamala Harris, about her beauty regime? And there was a bit of tension between people saying, we need to stop this type of journalism, this isn't journalism, and then other people saying, this person is a beauty writer. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, what's your thoughts on that? I saw that. I I didn't read the article at the time because I was out and about. I think it's a tricky one because we absolutely shouldn't be like pigeonholing a woman leader because of what she looks like I do equally think you know we are always going to have a beauty section of a national newspaper it's just more about doing the beauty section right the fundamentally I don't think there's anything wrong with if you've put together a considered article that actually kind of brings people along and does it in the right way Mm -hmm. um like I think stylists for example are particularly good at it where they are a magazine that's primarily was focused on style and fashion but are actually really good at being like our audience are intelligent women yeah we can talk about politics and maybe kind of do it in a slightly different way so I don't think there's necessarily a problem with it but it's about writing that article in the right way Mm -hmm. so more about like the the treatment of it yeah uh, yeah I think so um and I haven't read it so I wouldn't want to say yes or no on the Mm -hmm. line but I think it's just I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with including someone in the beauty pages as long as you're doing it in the right way in in a way to make that beauty section more progressive and not in a here's what she should be doing I don't know what do you think I think that overall like looking at like especially new politicians or politicians who've just recently become in the public eye looking at their appearance and writing about their appearance I think it can leave a bad taste in people's mouths in my opinion people should be focusing on their policies however the argument was that there are beauty writers out there. You know, it's not a problem if they're using trending topics like the new VP 
in their articles you know that is the way that people write content and get their ideas from if anything I just think it leads to more of a discussion about what do we actually want to hear about politicians and I don't mean anything mean by it it's important to have a discussion about it if we're if we're looking at women in journalism yeah I agree and I think that's as you said it's good to if anything have discussions about this and think about what we want the media to look like in future so going on from that would you be able to tell us a little bit about the second source yeah for sure um so the second source is kind of a collection of volunteers that i'm also part of um it was set up in the wake of the me too kind of scandal which feels like a lifetime away now <laughs> but yeah it were a collection of just uh, women from across the industry that wanted to kind of do something positive and create some kind of supportive network as a response to just the aim of it really being a place where people can connect to each other and talk to each other and we also run a mentoring scheme so we've been pairing people up we've just extended it actually but yeah the whole idea is just to kind of bring women together and just have a kind of collective so that there are other people who you can kind of talk to or give advice and so you know it's very much a we've always got the dms open kind of place just in case there ever is anything that someone wants to just throw out to someone else and they don't feel that they can kind of that they've got someone to ask oh that sounds awesome what kind of barriers or challenges do you think are out there for new journalists in the north well scotland as well do you think covid's affected the way people approach kind of journalism and careers or do you think on the flip side covid's kind of made people think a lot differently um i mean it's kind of diff- it's kind of difficult to say i think at this point sorry. obviously <laughs> i'm quite <laughs> sorry my mic just took an absolute tumble in <laughs> that's going to go in the bloopers (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) i enjoyed it the optimistic part of me would like to hope that this does see a bit of a shift in the way that things kind of work like i think a lot of companies have seen that you don't necessarily have to have everyone in a room in london but i think on the flip side it probably does feel just more isolating for everyone because you are the only person to try and come up with I guess three top tips of advice for people looking to first break into journalism I think my first one would be to always make sure you're taking your time I think this comes up so often when I am on the other side and I'm looking through countless applications um, and you just notice that people are rushing just pick the jobs that you really would like to apply for spend a decent amount of time on those I'd say you know I really want to feel as someone who's reading a job application that you've really taken your time on it and that it's really been tailored to me and this application isn't something that you've just kind of been chucking around my second piece of advice yeah always do come with bringing ideas I think it just makes such a difference really shows that you understand the outlet it shows that you know what you want to do um, and that you really understand what you're applying for And then I think finally, I would say, don't be afraid to kind of do things a bit differently. I think you'll hear a lot about how there is one right way to do journalism and one right way to get in. There's a specific career path. There really isn't. So I would just go the way that works for you. There is no rush. It doesn't matter if you don't necessarily get your dream job straight away. You can still kind of pivot back in, back out don't kind of feel constrained there's equally absolutely no problem with you know taking a job that pays the bills and having the time on the side is where you actually do that creative journalism stuff 
so we did ask on Twitter if people had any questions. So the first one we got was from Jay. He asked, what lessons do aspiring journalists learn that are more unhelpful to their career than helpful? How can graduates learn to accept the correct advice? This isn't something that is a bad habit, but maybe universities don't give the full context of what networking should look like. It shouldn't necessarily be you just firing off a million kind of DMs and going, hey, can I pick your brains? It should actually be you kind of being genuinely interested in what someone's doing and go, hey, I've seen you did this really cool investigation about mental health. I'm really interested in it. Would you mind having a chat about it? The other question from Twitter was, uh, what do you think is the most common mistake aspiring journalists make in applying for jobs and on their CVs? My first thing that I would say is just don't rush. Um, actually take your time and personalise that CV and kind of make sure that you've not made any silly mistakes because it sounds so simple and it sounds like the most basic thing in the world to say, but having been the person that's looked through 300 CVs, about 200 of them are where people have just sent something generic and really haven't like thought it through. And I, again, I, I just imagine me listening to this, if I was applying for jobs, I'd be like, yeah, that's really obvious. But having seen the 300 CVs and 200 of them are just generic, clearly people aren't doing it. So I would genuinely say like less is more. Universities just can sometimes give you this idea that there is one set route in a journalism career trajectory and that's that you do your degree do loads of unpaid work you then go to London and that's kind of sorted whereas actually there are a million different ways in and I think it's almost just worth having that in your mind from the offset um, I think is one of the most important things. Thanks so much for joining us and I hope that listeners have been inspired by Jem's advice and tips. So thanks to Jem Collins for sharing her stories and you can follow Jem on Twitter and Instagram at Journal Resources. And why not give us a follow on social media over at Northern Natter. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share and follow us to keep up to date. We really appreciate the support. So from me, Katie Williams. And me, Katie Baggett. This is Northern Natter.